Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the discussion of the Ravens offense against the Bengals and that big win on Sunday. And joining me to do that is Jake Luke of the Exit 52 podcast. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Ken. Long time no speak. <laughs> yes, it's been a matter of a couple of minutes for a bathroom break here, but thank you. Because uh, that's that's something that's very important to me at this age. Uh, anyway, other uh, for for the other folks out there, in terms of the first show, we talked a lot about the scheme. We talked a lot about uh, Lamar's performance. Uh, we talked about uh, some of the run-pass balance, the ball security being a, a breath of fresh air, that we were, the Ravens were able to run the ball down the opponent's throat, the state of Baltimore sports, uh, the current injury crunch on the roster, and the and uh, how that will create some uh, some difficult decisions probably yet to come. Worth the download. Please go back and do that if you haven't already. It's a good setup for the second part of the show as well. Um, and I think we'll we'll jump in and talk about the offensive line play if you're ready to do that, Jake. Absolutely. All right. So the offensive line had zero sacks allowed in this game, just one quarterback hit, four and a half pressures only that were charged to the offensive line. That's really good. So oftentimes you'll have a free runner who generates a pressure, and there were eight times where Jackson was under pressure of some sort, and that you know would would include the quarterback hit. So there were two and a half pressures which were not charged to the offensive line. Um, but the, the only bad thing about the offensive line performance was the 35 yards in penalties. Um, the fact that that was all spread out over 75 uh, snaps makes the score still pretty good. But uh, but those penalties are still a concern. And in particular, when we get to talk about John Simpson, I, I, I kind of want to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I've seen uh, people that are smarter than me breaking down the offensive line. And uh, some of them have concerns about Simpson just in a macro sense. It seems like he's played a little bit well, played maybe above his station to start the season. But yeah, that was a little concerning. I think Mustfer was responsible for a pretty crucial one as well there. So that was certainly tough, but it did feel like they they all kind of punched above their weight out there and they they really held their own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would agree with that. I thought it was an outstanding combined game. There's really only one player and a little bit unexpected who it was who, who didn't really have a particularly good game. Uh, but I'll start with Patrick McCary, if that's okay. And, you know, as we go along, feel, feel free to ask, ask any questions on this. But outstanding game replacing Stanley here. Two pressures in the game. That's one full plus two half. I know I saw something that uh, he didn't have any pressures against Hendrickson. That's not how I scored it. He did allow some uh, pocket compression in there. He uh, had people around Lamar's had Hendrickson around his, had his own feet, essentially around Lamar's feet with Hendrickson bullying him to get there. Um, he had no other negative events though. And two pressures in a whole game of 75 snaps is a terrific result for an offensive tackle. So that was very good. He did miss four blocks. Um, that's not a bad number in 75 snaps. Again, four blocks in level two, one pancake, two out of three on pulls really nice. He had three highlight combination blocks, combination block. Again, I don't talk about this every episode, but he uh, helps to tee up a player at the line of scrimmage. Uh, on a double team then he uh, climbs to level two and makes another block uh there and so those three highlights were were nice they all are level two blocks themselves uh overall grade an a in this game yeah just a guy who really seems to embrace his role and he's been here a while now i forget the exact year that he came in but i remember when he did come in i i, I think i interviewed him that year and he just he seems like a really nice kid with his head on straight i, th- I believe he went to cal uh, was from out there and everything. And he's just, he's really assimilated into this culture really well. And when he signed that extension, I mean, that's 
what a savvy move by this front office because you talk about these injuries to Ronnie Stanley and it's going to be a lingering thing for the rest of his his contract and for the rest of the time that he's with the Ravens. Uh, it's just something that they're going to have to manage and to have a swing tackle like this that can come in and perform uh, in a pink situation uh, as he did. That's that's really impressive. I, I agree, and I don't. I honestly don't believe he's the long term solution. I think he's better as the James Worthy kind of a super sub, your sixth man, if if you can have that. And as a pure backup left tackle, honestly, this, this performance here uh, is just an absolute breath of fresh air against a Raven killer of many years in Hendrickson, uh, the, the guy who has, has put all sorts of pressure on, on Lamar and, and Tyler Huntley, frankly, over the years. Uh, just just a, a terrific uh, game. But yeah, they're, they're, uh, I guess they've got McCarry now for two more years under contract still he's he was i believe he signed a three-year extension after year four so he, he really is just in the first year of earning it even though he, he his fourth season he was already under contract or was under rfa and i may be wrong about that maybe off by a year i think it might maybe. be a four-year deal but i could be wrong okay so it might the four-year deal might have included you know the year he was already under his rfa yeah but that's great um you know at this point uh, I, I'd be a little concerned and I don't want to be the, the purveyor of doom here because that's just not who I am. But you have to be realistic and say, based on the combination of the way he played in week one and the fact that he's hurt again, there's not a 0% chance Ronnie Stanley has played his last snap as a Raven. Yeah, no, it, it's something that is always going to be at the back of my mind as a fan. And it's unfortunate because he's a guy who has really... Really had a, a tough time here um, the last couple of years, both physically and mentally, and you, you just want him to get back to what he was. But with the reality of that injury, it's just never going to be the same. And, I mean, it's unfortunate for the Ravens that they signed him to that contract when they did because, you know, what happens a week later, that does. So it's just kind of – it's a little reflective of their injury luck overall, but I also don't want to be too woe is me as a fan type thing. Like, this is this guy's career, and then, you know, really, really took a, a – tough turn and got derailed there so it's tough to see they're gonna have to continue to manage it like i said like they they signed me to that deal and they're, they're just gonna have to live with it until it's uh until it's through right they are in a position if they want to to try and get out of it after this year there's about an eight million dollar cap savings next year they could even accelerate some 2025 money and get about i think 16 or 17 million in cap savings uh by doing it post june one so if they felt like they could either get through with mccary go to the free agent market and sign somebody or potentially even accumulate a draft pick or two, maybe trade a player for a draft pick. Um, they could, they might be able to get up into the range where they could draft a high value tackle, maybe a guy who's not quite ready but has most of the high end traits that people like. And McCary takes the job for a year or some portion of a year to get this new guy ready. Yeah, I could, I could certainly see them exploring all the options because. Uh, it's tough, especially with a, a crucial game like this. Like if they would have had their druthers, they probably would have just sat him against the Texans and then uh, had him play in this game. But the timing just didn't work out. And it's just been kind of reflective of the uh, the, the messy process that this has been for the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and, and I want to be clear here. I do not want to be writing Ronnie Stanley's epitaph here as a football player. I, I want him to come back from this. Uh, injury and I want him to enjoy playing football. I want him to be healthy and happy playing football. And obviously that would be the best situation for the Baltimore Ravens. If I don't think it's impossible that he could come back from this uh, play well for the next couple of years, such that the, such that the uh, Ravens, you know, can't even think about letting him releasing him from the final years of his contract and all of a sudden be a ring of honor candidate again. I, that, that's not out of the realm of possibility. 
but I do think that that anytime a player at this age with his kind of injury history has a has a another injury of this type, um, you know, you, you've got to be worried. Yeah, no, you you certainly have to be, and uh, I don't want to be writing those those obituaries for his career uh, anytime soon either. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they figure it out and he, he comes through this thing okay. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about John Simpson. You had some comments earlier about John and uh, some things. About John uh, John Simpson obviously came to Baltimore with a huge concern about penalties, and I, I, I've, I've rattled these stats off so much I don't need them, them in front of me to see. But John Simpson with the Raiders had 17 penalties in 1,545 career offensive snaps, more than 1% of snaps he was penalized. And it wasn't just that, it was the magnitude of the penalties. Only two of those were false starts, 13 offensive holds, and two personal fouls. Well, he had looked good in the preseason in game one. Um, obviously, the sample size was not what, we, what we'd want exactly yet. And unfortunately, he had an offensive hold on a very tough customer, DJ Reader, in this game that was one of his uh, problems. And also had a false start in the game, which... Uh, you know, false starts, there's a certain cost of doing business if they don't become a, uh, a, a real problem. But you'd like your interior linemen, certainly, to have fewer false starts. Sometimes your tackles get them because they're cheating to try and set up properly against a good pass rusher. That's not the case with Simpson. So he'll be being as close to the ball as he is that, that he would there would be less of a, of a risk of him having this. Yeah. And to be fair, I can call those in the budget for a road divisional game, especially in that was as probably as loud. loud. Yeah. As, as I've seen that Cincinnati stadium in a long time, this is a fan base that has been rebuilt over the last couple of years. They were fired up. So you can, uh, you can call that in the budget. You can say that's okay, but yeah, you do not want that to be a lingering concern for an offense that is trying to put this procedural penalty kind of nonsense behind them after what has been a, a rough couple of years in that regard for them. Yeah. So the, the holding penalty is more of the return of past problems for John Simpson that I thought, yeah, the, the Dallas Sanders has done a wonderful job of, coaching out bad habits from I, I'm going to use the term marginal defensive offensive lineman, but I, maybe a, a better use is undervalued offensive lineman because they or, or poorly coached offensive lineman maybe is another even better way to put it. Um, but, but Simpson and Mustafer both were guys who came from their old teams with problems with a, with a fair amount of baggage. They're both fourth year players. And it, it looks to me like both had taken a big step forward in terms of their preseason play and I'm happy so far with what each of them has done during the regular season. I'm just a little more concerned about the about the penalties with Simpson. I'll go through a little bit of the rest of his his game here because he only had one negative play in the game, and that was a one third pressure on a two gap stunt by Miles Murphy. So Miles Murphy, of course, the defensive end drafted out of Clemson this last year. He was playing in Hendrickson's spot. He jumped over two gaps. Actually, it was, it was really more like three gaps to to rush through the left right. Sorry, the right B gap. And what that meant was the uh, the interior offensive linemen had to each pass off their guys. It rarely happens. You have a double pass off that occurs on the same play. Normally, it's a single pass off on a one gap uh, stunt or twist where you have to you have to take care of business and do that properly. This was two two pass offs, and they didn't get it negotiated properly. So it just accounted that pressure as being a third to each player. Uh, the offensive hold on Reader, uh, he just let Reader get outside of his frame, and as almost always is true. The hold didn't have anything to do with the play. Uh, it, it probably twenty percent of total holding penalties. It actually has something to do with the play uh, when it's on a run. Uh, this was one. This was in the eighty percent. Not uh, not a good one. So that was unfortunate. Uh, he did have four missed blocks in the game. 
Uh, one thing we're seeing a fair amount this year is Simpson being on the ground. And I was more concerned about it in week one where he had a, he was victim of a number of uh, push-pull move. I don't know if you if you work with anybody else who's doing a little bit of film analysis just saw that happening to him. Yeah, no, I, I certainly did. And I think that's where when I talk to some of these people, it sounds like there is maybe some concern that not that he's going to be a problem on a play-by-play basis, but that when he gets put into these matchups with a guy like a reader or some of these other D tackles that he's going to be going up against. I know Cam Hayward's hurt right now, but mm-hmm. some of these guys in the uh, in the AFC North that uh, are going to present a problem for him that in a high leverage situation, uh, you know, the the cream of the crop rises. And Simpson, for as much of a grinder as he is and a good story, uh, he's maybe not necessarily the cream of the crop compared to some of these players, and that's where it can maybe bite them a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I actually think Simpson's a, a, a better player um, than, than people will give him credit for because I think most of his problem with the penalties, Simpson is otherwise built exactly like you'd like an offensive tackle built. Might not have the feet to play left tackle, but it wouldn't have shocked me, and, and it still wouldn't shock me, if something happened to McCarry, if Simpson is their choice to move out to left tackle just because he's got 34-inch arms, he's you know he's been a good pass blocker, generally speaking, needs to avoid holding calls, but you know hopefully that's something that can be coached out of him. And it would not surprise me if he's the Ravens' choice to go there. Um, they might go with Falele, and that might be the right choice because it doesn't discontinuitize the rest of the line. Uh, you know, by making only a one-for-one switch. Um, but Falele has his own problems being out there at left tackle. We saw them on full display last year. So uh, I, I, I kind of like, you know, who Simpson could be for this team as a versatile player. We'll see how that works out. I think the floor is raised a little bit. You mentioned Dallas Andrus and the, just this coaching staff offensively um, right now. I just think they're in a really good spot. And it raises the floor of the players like this who you're – having come in and you're, you're going to have to count on them to a certain extent. And you mentioned the penalties. I mean, he's playing for a, a rudderless, just a drift at sea, Josh McDaniels Raiders team last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just nothing to get excited about there. And I, I couldn't blame a guy for maybe checking out a little bit mentally. And it sounded like he did have a, uh, you know, go to some dark places mentally when he, whatever the story was where he, he left the team and, you know, he comes to the Ravens and he earns a starting job and it's a, it's a great story. So. You know, this is one of the things I, I think, and, and maybe maybe I'll ask it as a question, but do you think that the process of allowing Salah to start at left guard during OTAs was actually manufactured to light a campfire under John Simpson's butt? Because it, it, it was taking more than a few matches, clearly. You know, uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because did they do that to light a fire under Ben Cleveland's butt? And then yeah. what happened? Yeah, it's it's funny how uh, how these battles work out sometimes. And uh, I think you're you're maybe onto something there because this Sala guy. I mean, we we hear a lot about him to uh, to open the uh, open camp as it breaks, and then all you know, just little by little, he kind of starts to recede into the background. And you're right, Simpson sort of rose to the occasion. Ben Cleveland kind of nowhere to be found as of right now. So I think uh, the the cream kind of rose in that situation to to reuse that phrase a little bit. Yeah, it it, uh, it definitely was a case where I, I I really believe Harbaugh would be the the master behind behind manufacturing that sort of a false competition to basically say, look, we think Simpson's probably the guy. And honestly, Salah, I, I don't know what they might have seen earlier, but by the time contact was starting, including the, the the practices against the Redskins and certainly all the preseason, Salah's not ready for an NFL field right now. He's he's a developmental offensive lineman who could at some point be pretty good. You know, but but he's at least a year away. NFL weight room, grow into his body, yada yada yada. Um, he's just not ready to, to to play on the offensive line in a game, and he's active now. 
So you know, he's still uh, not exactly the ideal situation, but but he's, uh, you know, if if he was called on, it would not be a good thing. I don't know if you saw this, but Ben Cleveland apparently was actually taking snaps at center in the in the pregame. I did see this, and uh, it's a good thing that you know maybe for him that they're having some issues there health wise with Linderbaum right now because it just feels like a couple years in a row it just it has not materialized for him at all, and it it feels like attitude wise he is maybe persona non grata with that coaching staff right now, and uh, I think I feel like this might be the last year of the Ben Cleveland experiment in Baltimore. I, I, I don't disagree at all. And as long as the Ravens had the lead, I would kind of love to see him give me the game at center. There is no other center probably in league history who's ever played at that size. And it, it, center's responsibilities typically are either to take the back end of a double team or to chip effectively, you know, a combination block to, to, to start a double team and climb to level two. Ben Cleveland, you know, is the back end of a, of a you know, if, if, if somebody can help him get a player teed up a little bit, he'll, he'll take him in the next week. And his chip blocks, his, you know, the, the combinations he's going to make are going to pancake a, a lot of, I just, I would love to see him at center if I had any confidence that he could actually deliver the ball to Lamar without Lamar being under center for every single play. <laughs> Yeah, or make the calls, make the checks, be the leader, do all oh, that. It's got to be Zeitler doing that. Yeah. <laughs> not not to rag on that too much, but it just it that doesn't seem like it would go too well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's not an ideal situation. I just it would be it would be fun to watch. Let me finish off with Simpson here. We'll move on. Uh, he was two out of two on his polls. Uh, he had a difficult week one in terms of polling, so it was nice to see five level two blocks, one pancake, three highlights. By the way, we're gonna get to Zeitler in a little bit. Uh, Zeitler was 12 out of 13 on picks at polls and Simpson was two out of two on polls. What that tells you in part is that the Ravens changed the handedness of their run game, probably to deal with the fact that Simpson hadn't been all that effective with polls in the first week. So that's a, a, it's an interesting change and a very much an, an, an adaptation from, um, from Munkin to the situation. So I, I, I'd be interested in who maybe suggested that as a possibility, or if it's, if it's all Munkin or if D'Alessandro says, you know, it's not seeming to work out. Let's, let's try and change this and make Zeitler the primary. Um, I, I thought that was a, an interesting change. And a lot of the, you asked me like before in the, in part one, was it part of the um, offensive line changes that, that, you know, meaning the two guys who were injured that, that they were, um, uh, uh, lost my train of thought here. It, it, yeah, that, that they were uh, running unbalanced as they did, but I think that could also have something to do with the fact that Simpson, you know, wasn't pulling as effectively. So they wanted to get Zeitler on the move. Well, you can unbalance the line, and you can you can have a move under those cir- circumstances too. So uh, Simpson a B minus uh, for the game. The whole point he sneaked in exactly on the minimum point requirement for that. And honestly, I think that's he's had a very solid start to the year, a C and a B minus in the two games. Uh, I, I don't grade on a curve at all. I'm, I allow these things to, to fluctuate a lot week by week. Um, and and I'm, I'm very happy with Simpson's start to the season. Yeah, I was going to say, if you if you can get a B- minus out of John Simpson for what you signed him for, and you probably didn't expect much when you signed him, I think that's, uh, that's good for everyone. All right, let's talk a little bit about Sam Mustafar. Uh, solid first start for the Ravens. A third share of one pressure event, same same as the other guys that we mentioned earlier. Offensive hold on Reader. It absolutely happened. The play immediately after Simpson had had an offensive hold on Reader. So that was bad. His was in level two where he's blocking ahead of Lamar's run play. 
uh, and, it, and unfortunately, it wiped out a, a, a run. I'd say that one was also in the 80% that didn't need to happen. And he let him get a little outside the frame. And, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the flag was thrown again. He missed five blocks, but only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. So Mustafer moved to level two four times and couldn't find a block. Mustafer is not the most mobile lineman. He's a very big physical presence. He's a 330-pound guy at center, which is, which is very large for a center in the NFL these days. Um, and, and mobility is just not his, his real strength. He did not pull in the game at all. Um, he did have two blocks in level two. Of course, if he had two blocks in level two, I already told you he moved to level two and couldn't find a block four times. So he made two out of six blocks in level two. Not exactly ideal. Did not have a pancake. One nice highlight combination block uh, that I noted it, and that'll be out in the article tomorrow. Uh, you know, one of the things I've seen from him so far is the snaps have been pretty good. They look to be on target, not really off too much left or right. Uh, velocity might be a little off from what you get with Linderman, but also not, not missing too much lower high either. So we're not seeing Lamar reach up for a ball, reach down for a ball left or right very much. It seems to be, he's, he's surprisingly very solid in terms of the snaps. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up too, because I feel like Linderbaum actually in week one had some timing issues where Lamar didn't know the ball was coming. I think on that fumble that he had it, he caught it and like, you know, it seemed like it was in sync, but then he kind of like lost the ball on the uh, the fumble that they did lose in that game, I think. So, yeah, it was good to see that from Mustafer. And it's it's something that you certainly cannot take for granted uh, with this offense, as we've seen over the last couple of years. Ravens fans are very sensitive to having a center who can yeah. actually snap the ball. So, yeah, for your uh, whatever he is, your second stringer at this point. Good to see. You, you know, I, I wondered about this a little bit this week, and I, and I haven't expressed this on any of the pods so far, but. Would it be normal to bring in your long snapper? And the long snappers are known for, you know, snapping a ball into a moving car, into a bucket. And, you know, they have, their, their snaps are effectively, you know, three times the normal length of a shotgun snap, probably, maybe longer than that even in some cases. And they're right on, they have to be right on the money or, they, or it's a big problem. Um, and I wonder if, if your long snapper couldn't come in and give tips to your center. Now, they'd resent it. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but the, the, the other uh, point of the thing, you know, the, the center is going to say, well, you never have to face anybody who's bearing down on you right as you snap the ball. So you can talk all you want about rotation of the football and angle of the ball you want to hold it at and blah, 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 blah. But you don't have the same problems I have. But I do really think there's some exchange of ideas there that would be very valuable between a long snapper and a, and a guy, especially a guy who's new to the center position. Yeah, you're, you're getting into the marketplace of ideas on the finer points of snapping. I like that a lot. I think uh, it is something that probably should take place. I mean, especially with the Ravens, they uh, they tend to find these guys uh, kind of out of nowhere. You had Nick Moore, you had uh, Morgan Cox for a long time. Maybe mm-hmm. Tyler, Tyler Ott could uh, talk to Must for a little bit about this, or maybe even Linderbaum if he's the one having the issues yeah. here. Uh, but that it feels like we're approaching... Or Cleveland. If, yeah, if, if, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, if you try that experiment out, it, it feels like we're approaching... a a Voss kind of galaxy brain thing where you just have the center and the long snapper be the same person. So you can save a roster spot. It feels like that's the cutting edge kind of economics. We we've come to expect from a guy like that. That would be an interesting, an interesting choice because it's a different body type. Oh yeah. So, so it's a, it's normally a tight end type body type because they don't have to get touched. So it's a, it's a nice, nice benefit to being a long snapper. All right. Uh, C-plus for Mustafer for the game. Again, I'm very happy. C and a C-plus his first two games. Uh, looking good, honestly. I, I'm sorry. He, he didn't have a C in the first game. He came in for five snaps, made all five of his blocks. So he's looked good so far uh, in two games. And uh, aside from that that very costly penalty that, that helped stall a drive, um, I, I think his game was a good one against the Bengals. 
Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's another kind of thing with Simpson, and even more to this extent because uh, Mustafa really is kind of the uh, the spot starter here, and um, just uh, another another guy on this offensive line that they found who can at least give them uh, give them a good sixty minutes, if uh, not more than that. So, move on. Talk about Kevin Zeitler a little bit. He allowed a QH, um, and this was one I think that was mischarged by some people. I noticed PS PFF had it mischarged that um, he actually blocked Reader in such a way that he tripped up um, Moses. So he clipped Moses's back foot as he was pushing Reader by. First of all, anytime you have to push a player across the pocket such that your offensive lineman's feet are in danger, it's a bad thing. And whatever happens wrong, that's getting charged to you in my book. So if there's, if there's entanglement there. And in this case, there was... Moses kind of halfway slipped, uh, Hubbard slipped off him, and he was going to be disadvantaged on the block anyway, and Hubbard went in and, and delivered the quarterback hit to Lamar. So, so that was unfortunate, but uh, not on Moses, really all on Zeitler in, in that particular case. He did give up two other full pressures in the game, uh, plus partials on two others. He had a, a half and a the third that we've talked about earlier. Um, he held B.J. Hill on a spin move. A lot of his action was against Hill and Tapau. Um, so it wasn't the, the, the top lineman um, by any stretch. He didn't get Hendrickson. He didn't get a lot of reader in this game. So it wasn't the best guys he was up again. Had four missed blocks. Uh, only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage, which is nice. Uh, others, other times he was going to L2 and not finding a block or, or he missed one pull as well. The big thing, the p- one positive I really take from this game for Zeitler is that he was 12 of 13 on pulls. And his mobility and, and uh, the ability to pull, the fact that they could – readapt their offensive line to go unbalanced and still pull with him was one of the things that allowed them to run out that football game uh, at the end with five unbalanced line plays on the, on the last six. Uh, So some good things to, you know, that good thing to pull out of this game, but otherwise Zeitler's pass blocking is a major concern earlier in the season. Yeah, he looked visibly frustrated too. Not even just on the penalties, but just in certain, uh, certain aspects of the game. It just, it looked like, uh, a guy who we've not really seen lose his cool in many different uh, in many different respects when he maybe could have over the years, uh, kind of unraveling at times throughout the game, and it was weird. And it kind of makes me think back a little bit to there wasn't there a report came out? I think Schefter might have even put it out that he wanted a new contract yeah. uh, earlier this summer. Yeah, and he he never got that. And here we are. And I wonder if at all that's still kind of ling- lingering and affecting his play here. But yeah, not not an ideal start for a guy who theoretically probably should have been your best player out there on that offensive line. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. First of all, I think he is. And he's certainly the most savvy. And he's the guy you trust with the line calls uh, with the current group that's out there at, at the at the bare minimum. I don't know what they would do. If, if they lost Seitler and Cleveland had to go in there and it's then between Cleveland, Mustafer, and Simpson about who can make line calls. I mean, Mustafer's the guy, but I, I, I would be a little bit concerned about the the quality of what's going on and his ability to focus on that and getting the snap right and everything I think would be very difficult. Getting back to Zeitler's contract for again, the Ravens obviously have a lot of free agents coming through the pipe this year. So they have a ton of free agent talent leaving. What's your level of concern with that? Because obviously a lot of what they've done is play for this year. Are you concerned at all about their ability to reshape a roster for 2024? A little bit. And it feels like they find guys kind of at the edges of where they're not all the way kind of the washed up older guy, but they, they can still offer you a little bit, but you can also get them at a decent enough rate. Like they did with a Matt Burke back in the day. And then they did with him. 
but it feels like they don't always just do it right away. They don't turn the engine over right away. So when Matt Burke leaves, you turn to Gino Gradkowski, and that's a disaster. And I totally get the thought process of let's develop our young guys. Let's let them make some mistakes. But sometimes the drop-off is just way too steep. And I feel like if Zeitler is uh, not going to be around for much longer, it does. It leaves me with some concern that they're not going to find that just right player, right price guy that can slot right in right away because it's not going to happen every year realistically. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly a concern for me. And on the offensive line in particular, the Voris selection, I think, was one, you know, a guy who might be a second or third round talent. Otherwise, is a guy they really hope is going to be able to play in 24. And it would not surprise me if they've kind of already penciled him in for that right guard slot that they know they can't really compete to sign as Eitler. And there's another factor in in play here, too. It's Eitler's age. It's actually kind of dangerous to re-sign him to a two or three year deal. He probably wants a three year deal anyway to which the Ravens probably ought to say, good luck. We hope you get as much money as possible, you know, and, and, and he has as big a year as, as he can. Um, but you don't want to be caught on the back end of a player's career where they constantly want to renegotiate a two-year contract every, every last year of their deal, which means you're negotiating a two-year contract every year they play. And they went through that with Ed Reed. They went through that with Derek Mason. And they went through it for one time with Marshall Yonda, which I don't have a problem doing it one time for a, for a Hall of Famer. But but I, I I you don't want to really go through it on the tail end of a not at the very top end player. Yeah, I don't think they will. And I think if they were going to go to the table with him, they probably would have already done that. I think the the three year deal that you're talking about probably would have already been signed, sealed, delivered. So maybe that could be the uh, the area that we're at and where we're approaching. And if a divorce is coming, I think uh, that's you know certainly unfortunate. But to your point. Going back to the table in a situation like that should be reserved for a Hall of Famer who's still playing well because they, we saw them with a the Hall of Famer uh, with Reed and they said, hey, thanks for everything, but we'll see. Ya. And that, that was the right decision at the time. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I do, uh, I, you know, I do hope at the very least that they get the consummate level that they've gotten from in the last couple of years because it's going to be pretty crucial. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I want to be fair to you. I've enjoyed scoring every snap of his Ravens career. And he's been a fantastic signing. The price tag was was perfect. It was, you know, he, he outplayed his contract, which is very rare for free agents you sign at that age. Usually football players in their 30s give you negative surprises. They almost never give you a positive surprise. Yeah, tread on his tires too. I mean, he played for the Browns, the Bengals, the Giants. He He's had a, a long career on the offensive line. That's not something where veterans kind of hold up to the extent that he has. He's probably a little bit more of a rarity in that case. So it's it's amazing that they got the uh, the play out of him that they did, to your point. Yeah, he's, he's it to, for my money, he's probably the best offensive lineman in the NFL now with his sort of tenure to never make a Pro Bowl. It's still amazing to me that he never squeaked in somehow in a in a – AFC that, that, that frankly had opportunities. Yeah. And with guys that kind of just stopped going, I mean, when it, when it's getting to the point where uh, I think uh, Flacco got like the third alternate or whatever that one year, I think Andy mm-hmm. Dalton, the seventh alternate Tyler Huntley's making it last yep. year. It feels like at a certain point, like you, you would get at least one. So that's, that's too bad for him. Yeah. I, I guess guards are less likely to turn down the, uh, the invite, a free trip to Hawaii or whatever, wherever they play that game now. I know it's just a skills challenge, but it's uh, they, I think they go to Vegas. It's almost, yeah. I, I think I tweeted last year. It's, it's kind of turning into like a, a corporate retreat almost, uh, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. very beautiful that they, they found a way to, uh, to turn it into something like that. Oh, very good. All right. D minus for Zeitler uh, after adjustment for him. So he barely squeaked in uh, over the pass line. 
Uh, Moses, I'll, I'll get to very quickly, did very well versus Sam Hubbard. And Hubbard, of course, a, a Ravens killer like Hendrickson over the years. And one of the guys who's been very effective at providing some pressure, even with a four-man rush for the Bengals. But Moses really took care of business against him. He didn't have a single negative event. Uh, he had four missed blocks, as I scored it, two losses at the line of scrimmage among those four missed. Uh, in both cases, uh, Lamar either had the ball out quickly or uh, ran for positive yardage. So in either cases, he'd get a negative score on it. Made three level two blocks, two pancakes, six out of six on pulls. Uh, one of the kind of tenets of my system is that when a guy is on the back end of a uh, counter where he's the second puller, as Moses often is when the pull goes left and either Zeitler or the center would be in front of him, uh, then he doesn't get he, – he's not required to get a pull. But the thing about Moses' game last year, he almost always found somebody. Just remarkably mobile for a man his size in terms of being able to find blocks and process the information. It's, it's very chaotic information you're getting. And linemen know what they're looking for to a, to a good degree, but they can get confused by color just like anybody can in terms of, of trying to pick up – who, who should I block here between this guy who's coming around the edge and might not in, impact the play and this guy in level two who, if I maintain my momentum, I'll have a bigger impact on. So uh, I, Moses just been terrific at that. So they had three freebies in this game, but even if he hadn't gotten those, he'd have still been an A with or without adjustment in this game. It was that good. Yeah, and my, uh, my kind of neophyte eye, even I managed to catch that uh, early block, that tone-setting block that I mentioned, where I think he pulled and just absolutely eliminated a guy. And uh, it's very important uh, in a game like that where you got to establish a rhythm, you got to establish like, hey, we're, we're injured along this offensive line, but we're not going to allow it to overly affect our performance. We're going to come out here and uh, punch you in the mouth a little bit. And uh, him doing that, I think, really set a good tone for the offensive line to start the game. Yeah. I, I, I like who he is as a lineman. I, I would be surprised if other linemen don't look up to him in the room. I mean, you got good players, you know, in general. I, I they probably they might look up to Zeitler more. I really don't know, but but Moses, in terms of the effort he puts out on the field, uh, is very high. And and I think the Ravens got more than they expected out of him when they signed him. Or maybe they saw the talent that that other teams didn't. But uh, he was a hell of a free agent pickup. I mean, just a hell of a signing. Yeah, vocal leader too. He's breaking them down in the locker room. He's uh he's very very just very eloquent on the mic, I think, and uh, always has a, a, a lot of good things to say. So, yeah, just another guy kind of similar to Zeitler. Uh, funny enough that they play right next to each other, uh, who just you're getting a lot more uh, value out of him than that contract might have uh, might have represented. So, uh, bully for him. All right. Well, let's jump in and talk about some skill position players. And uh, we've talked about some of these, of course. We don't have to talk about everyone, but, but who would you like to talk about first? I wanted to go to Nelson Aguilar. Okay. I just it kind of speaks to what I was talking about where they had a clear approach to this offseason that look it's been long enough we're going to go ahead and improve this passing game and it's funny because he's that first signing that they make with their free agency class right free agency class if you want to call it that I mean they they kind of signed him as an afterthought a little bit to to some people I remember uh the spot track guy tweeted something about how they hadn't signed Jackson to the contract and they had barely improved anything. And it's like, Oh, just stay the course Ravens being the Ravens again. And I got a little, you know, I'm a fan. I got emotional and I was annoyed with that. And of course that doesn't wind up being it at all. They signed Beckham, they draft flowers, but this is a type of mid tier guy that they would sign. And then that would be it. And he would be, he would be their big ticket wide receiver in the past. But the fact that they didn't do that and then they go out and they get a Beckham, they get a flowers but then you get a game like this where, yeah, Beckham gets hurt. It's so much 
less pressure on the shoulders of a guy like Aguilar. And I think it showed really well. He, he was playing fast. He was playing loose, getting open over the middle. And then the slot fade touchdown, a beautiful throw by Lamar, but also a great catch by him. Mm-hmm. Love the celebration too, by the way. It was just a really, <laughs> really fun celebration uh, with the dance there. But five catches, 63 yards, 12.6 uh, average and no drop issues, nothing like that. That's kind of he's been known for a little bit and kind of made, you know, poked fun at over the years. Uh, just a really, really solid performance. And uh, like like I had been saying all offseason, you could do a lot worse than this guy as your four. You could do a lot worse than Devin DuVernay as your five. And early on in the season, having an injury issue with Odo Beckham and watching a guy like that step up, super encouraging. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to give you a good over-under on what he might accomplish this year. And people always want to talk about yards and this, but a lot of it was going to be injury dependent in terms of this. But after putting up a game like this, and, and, and frankly, after having a camp where he was very effective and, and he had to earn some trust from Lamar during that camp that may have even impacted the number of chances he got in this game, the number of targets he got, uh, I, I thought that the, I think that now there is a very wide range of potential outcomes right now for Nelson Aguilar in terms of, of what he could do for this team. It wouldn't shock me if they got 550 yards out of Nelson Aguilar at this point. It also wouldn't shock me if he goes back in the can, Beckham is is ready to go again, the Ravens stay largely healthy, Bateman snaps increase, and he gets 220 yards. But yeah. there's, a, there's a wide range of outcomes. Yeah, and I think you're you're pretty much hoping for the latter, right? You signed Beckham for a lot of money. You yeah. want to be able to get some, uh, get some production out of that guy for sure, and that would come at the expense of uh, Aguilar's touches, but it's almost... I'd almost prefer that for a lot of different reasons on a lot of different levels because it's going to get colder. It's going to get more difficult. And, you know, Beckham's going to have some tread on his tires, certainly. And he's an older guy who's been injured a little bit. And so by the time you get to the playoffs and things get more crucial, and as I think Parcells used to say, you know, the season really starts around Thanksgiving, having guys like this in the can, to your point, that you can turn to when things get tough is uh, is huge. And I think we saw a glimpse of it today. And hopefully, uh, hopefully he does go on the shelf and then, uh, you know, when they do need him in those big moments, he shows up like he did. Yeah, and and not to beat on a, on a really nice guy by all uh, accounts, you know, James Prochet would have been the similar guy they're turning to for injury snaps last year. And and maybe to a lesser degree, Tylen Wallace, who is, you know, I think basically the Ravens view him as a special teams player at this point. I don't see him getting a lot of play at wide receiver this year. Again, it could happen because of injuries. We hope it doesn't. Uh, but it, he's, he's a much higher quality guy. I had some problems with Aguilar as a player, the drops in particular. And th- my main problem was I didn't want to spend void year money on him again. I didn't want to spend the money out of 2024. And I really, really did not want to spend the sixth round draft pick they lost out of the compensatory formula for signing him. So I thought, there, you know, you, there's probably another better option. Given how he's played, I'm, I'm at least to neutral on that call right now. I, I, I'm, you know, five out of six, big win against Cincinnati. It's almost enough to justify his entire contract right there uh, in terms of, of, of play value you get out of him. Yeah, and I think it, at a certain point, if you're the Ravens, you have to accept that you're not Pittsburgh. You're not finding these guys in the fourth to sixth round. You're not even finding these guys in the second round. Frankly, you're not even really finding them in the first round for the most part. Hollywood Brown had some good moments, certainly. Torrey Smith in the second round 10 years ago, that's great. Mm-hmm. You can't draft these guys. So you got to just, you know, you, eventually you have to bite the bullet and spend a little bit of money. And did they overspend this offseason? Maybe, but you got to correct this problem position eventually. And it looks like they're off to a good start for 2023. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, the Zay Flowers is correcting the position 
the um, signings of Beckham and Aguilar are band-aiding the position, which is a lot of my issue here is that, you know, they're, they're, they, there's other guys that could have gone out. You could find somebody else's R or one discard and develop him. Now that's not the Ravens, you know, way, but they have better receiving coaches in Lewis and, and Williams that they really trust now, I think. And at some point you've got to kind of give them the keys to a, um, an older, potentially restorable car and, and let them, you know, make something out of them. And, and hopefully a guy who's still got a year or two under contract uh, in, in particular, a little bit of sand in the hourglass that you can, you can develop. Yeah, certainly. It was, it was a weird off season on a lot of different fronts and they, you know, they signed Aguilar well before the, the Jackson contract was done. It was before Beckham was in the picture, like I mentioned. So it was just kind of one of those signings that I think maybe flew under the radar a little bit. And it was good to, as you said, you know, they essentially got the return on it already. And uh, hopefully it's uh, going to continue to be that way. All right. Great stuff. I, I'm going to jump in and talk about uh, Rashad Bateman and uh, Bateman's now had the ball thrown to him six times this year, caught all six of them for, I think, 53 yards. So nothing wrong with that at all. Almost nine yards per target. Bateman last year was over 10 yards per target. He's had some good bailout ability, a really nice bailout catch in the first game to save Lamar from a, a potential ball that could have been thrown into trouble uh, that he threw back across his body and he made a nice diving uh attempt on the ball really hasn't gotten much in the, in the way of yak opportunities, whereas he's a, you know, can really provide value there that we've seen has also not gotten a deep opportunity yet, but his snaps increased from 25 to 44 between game one and game two. I'm excited about that. And I, I mean, I still believe even the flowers is now the number one receiver, obviously um, that, that Bateman really should be the X that is the other primary cog um, as opposed to say OBJ getting a, a, a huge target share. I think what OB, OBJ can give you a lot of nice possession receiving, can give you some savvy defensive plays, but I want Bateman to be the go-to guy, frankly. And, and the fact that they have Bateman now for this year and either one or two more makes it all that much more important that you develop him with his targets this year, as opposed to just letting him uh, ride along in OBJ's shadow. Yeah, and when you talk about the X in the technical sense, like I almost I feel like I do like him more in that role of I'm out on an island and then the Y and the Z and Beckham and Flowers can move around a little bit and go in motion and stuff like that. I just feel like he profiles for that better. I think back to that Browns game in Cleveland with Huntley where he was just chucking it up to him and he's just snatching the ball out of the air and he's beating guys and winning in a phone booth. I feel like he does profile for that pretty well. So I think you make a good point there. And uh, off to a good start, I think, so far. And it, it just feels like... There's been very few, if any, negative moments with him on the field throughout his career. It's just been injuries and it's just been the mentality stuff. And he had a he had a rough year um, from all the stuff that he went through in his personal life that you can uh, go and look into if you're not aware. It's been a rough go for him. So uh, it's nice to see him off to a solid start here. Yeah, and, and one of the problems for him that it came up in Minnesota and it came up even in his time with the Ravens on the very first ball thrown to him was the drop that went for the interception. And he had other drops. Uh, you know, that, that have been a part of his experience in the NFL as well. But catching six out of six balls so far early this season is a great sign for him. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not a – there is not signature significance to that sample size. But there's, a, there's enough there to make me want to see more out of, out of abatement. The one thing I'll say about him being the X receiver, when he's out there on an island, that's his opportunity to, to put his route running savvy on display. So when he gets to the top of gets to the top of the stem, he's the best the Ravens have got at creating separation 
with his route running because he can make that cornerback guess wrong. He's the best at it that the Ravens have got. Odell is good at making the guy guess wrong, but he doesn't have the speed to separate that uh, that Bateman does. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to this year is to see how much can Beckham impart additional wisdom to Bateman in terms of how to run routes that would be even above and beyond. But Bateman's already, uh, he's the guy who, who has the best, best uh, route running skills. And that's no knock on flowers. He's an incredibly sudden athlete. He gets a ton of separation from just his suddenness. But he also hasn't been put in the position to, to uh, make that cornerback make the wrong judgment too often. Yeah, I think with flower speed, he almost doesn't even need to rely on it in the same way that a guy like Bateman, who's a bit more of a technician and more physical, would have to. And I think Beckham really is kind of the uh, the perfect mentor for him. Uh, I think they profile similar a little bit athletically. I think Beckham maybe had more explosiveness in his kind of heyday there. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think uh, Beckham has learned to become a technician in his own right um, as he's gotten into uh, the, the veteran stage of his career here. So it's a good relationship. It seems like they have a good relationship, which is nice because, you know, to my point earlier, Bateman didn't seem too happy with Eric DaCosta's approach at the wide receiver position earlier. And uh, who knew what he was going to think about a guy coming in and taking his target share and what's a crucial pre fifth year option year for him here. Yep. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's good to see that they, they're getting along really well. And uh, Beckham is actually, you know, he's been through a lot. He's, uh, one of the most famous athletes in the world right now, probably, which is kind of crazy to think that he's on the Ravens, but uh, there you have it. And uh, he's he's had to weather a lot of stuff with the media, weather a lot in his personal life, and it seems like they've developed not only a great professional relationship, but a good personal one too. Okay, here I've got a question for you because I I I, I have a kind of a theory that Beckham as an anti-hero for the other team is a good thing. Okay, that they had Terrell Suggs for years, and he was an you know anti-hero. The other team hated him. The hate gets all focused there. Other teammates, you know, can build off what the energy trail Suggs brings. The rivalry with Pittsburgh, Suggs was completely in place with that. There's video out there, you know, of, of him doing that. And, and Beckham, I think, brings a little bit of that big game juice uh, to the Ravens. And, and not necessarily, doesn't even have to necessarily be the vocal guy. You can, you can rely on other people's like that. But if other people want to look at what Odell Beckham is doing and how he responds to that kind of pressure, it's good. Here's my question for you. Is there any positive value you can derive from the fact that it's now being reported that Odell Beckham is dating Kim Kardashian? Uh, well, let me uh, let me tell you a little something. Uh, there might be an, a bit of an exclusive report. It's not necessarily explicitly stated, but coming on our podcast tomorrow uh, with Jack Settleman, who uh, has a little bit of an indirect connection there with Odell Beckham, thanks to Marlon Humphrey, uh, that that may actually be there might be some truth to those rumors. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's wild, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I never would have thought that we as Ravens fans and I, I made this exact argument. I think it might have been last year when he was flirting with the idea of signing with the team. The Ravens really wanted him at the time. Even Harbaugh was like really stumping for him. And uh, ultimately, he chose not to sign anywhere. But I remember saying at the time, like, you know, it's nothing against him and it's nothing against Baltimore. But Odell Beckham is not going to want to come to Baltimore. Like, he's going to want to go to Dallas. He's going to want to go back to New York. Maybe he's going to want to go somewhere where. He can get seen walking into steakhouses and going to the club and dating these famous, uh, famous people and things like that. And he's, you know, he's maybe just not going to get as much of that here. And it turns out maybe he's having his cake and eating it too, because now he's here, but the headlines are still kind of rolling. And uh, to the original question, uh, no, it is not a positive in my opinion. I'm very, very concerned. And I hope, uh, hope this thing is snuffed out before it uh, develops into anything too serious because we've already had, uh, I think it was the, the Drake curse came in maybe four years ago with Lamar Jackson. Now we've got this going on. 
all, Kyle all, Bowler and Tara Reed relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all sorts of alarm bells going off right now. A lot of uh, a lot of PTSD kicking in here. So, just think about that. There's a significant age difference between these two. So, yeah. when the OJ Simpson was riding in the white Bronco. I think Odell had not even been born yet, but if he had been born, he was like one or something so, because yeah, Odell was born. He had to have been because he's a couple years older than me. I was born in 95 and that was 94. So, okay. 11, five, 92, he was born. So when, when, when that happened, you know, he was a two year old and Kim Kardashian was already a mean girl. And you see this in terms of being a, uh, probably, I mean, if you're Kim Kardashian, you're probably a mean girl by the time you're in sixth grade. But yeah, I, the uh the what was it the fx series uh yes the oj simpson where it's david schwimmer talking to cuba gooding yep. please don't do please don't you know commit suicide in little kimmy's room like that was it was a little <laughs> bit of a canned kind of joke in there but yeah it was kim kardashian was probably like 11 to 12 years old at the time so yeah you're not wrong and he 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 had to continually lecture his kids schwimmer was was playing the kardashian the lawyer who was representing simpson he had to continue to lecture his kids about that's not the way we are in this family we don't seek attention for no reason <laughs> Funny. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, it was it was very well done. It was one of the one of the very funny little sub segments you got to you got to get a look at. I love that series. We we, we really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. All right, your turn. Um, let me think. Wish I'd wish I'd kind of thought of that. I got I got a little too caught up there in our uh, our Robert, <laughs> Robert Kardashian thing. Patrick Queen. How about him? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, Patrick Queen, defender. So we're gonna we're gonna lift him for the last show. I'm sorry, take an offensive player if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, sure. I'll go to uh, let's go to Mark Andrews then. Okay, another guy who just kind of coming off of injury there. Uh, it felt like maybe it was going to be is he a decoy kind of going into this? Or are they just kind of having him active for that reason? Maybe do a little blocking and get out of town. But no, more active than I was expecting. Eating up space in the middle of the field, Lamar. Uh, had a couple situations where he maybe threw a couple hospital balls, but I thought he controlled it really well. He kept him safe. Uh, it looked like he got out of there with a clean bill of health or at least as clean it was gonna, as it was going to be. And then they ran that sort of pick play a little bit to perfection. And uh, I was impressed by the blocking on that play, too, because it's pretty easy to uh, get yourself caught up in offensive pass interference on those kind of uh, those kind of pick plays that they run. But scored a touchdown on that. And uh, he kind of just looked like if not every bit of Mark Andrews, then maybe like an 85%. And that was a, that was a really welcome addition to a passing game that was a little lacking in week one. I, I, I agree completely. Mark catching five to eight balls with no bad things happening is, is fine. You know, good, good solid game in terms of, of the results. Uh, it certainly was a chain mover in the game. I think it might've been the first throw to him, the first, first down that he caught. Uh, he had found a space in the zone and it seemed like he waited for about a second and a half and was impatient for the football in terms of getting it from the, from the backside, they showed this Mark Andrews comes and sits down in the zone. He's waiting, 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 and finally the ball comes out. And, and uh, uh, do you take anything negative from what's happened at camp? Andrews has had some emotional outbursts. Some of them may have been related to injury. Others may have been related to not being directly involved in the offense in the same way that he's used to with Lamar. Yeah, that's an interesting point, especially the latter one there. I think anyone would be a little frustrated by injuries, certainly. And uh, a guy like that who uh, has largely avoided the the big ones throughout his career, it had to have been tough. But yeah, I mean, if that's his concern, then if the latter is concerned, that is, then 
I feel like this past game had to have been pretty encouraging for him. It was maybe a little bit on the lower side as far as receiving yards. He's usually that go-to guy approaching 100 yards uh, pretty much week in and week out. But, you know, he gets in there, and to your point, he catches five balls. And uh, I thought he he really was kind of the linchpin in the middle of the field. They were working the middle of the field a ton, and he was uh, still a key, key cog, and then he scores the touchdown. That had to have been encouraging if that was his concern. Yeah, they only had 33 targets in this game to to distribute. And they did a very good job, I thought, of distributing them to multiple receivers, is the point you made either either in this show or the or the previous one. But uh uh, you know, I thought it was it was Andrews getting eight. He shouldn't be concerned at all about his position in this offense, other than he didn't really get the opportunity to run a lot of these deeper seam plays and whatnot. But let's look at it. The Ravens didn't really throw the ball deep in this game. One time to Flowers. Other than that, they really didn't do much between even level two and three in this game to throw intermediate balls that Andrews could have could have turned into some significant yak. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's just it. I, I can't speak highly enough of the guy um, as far as just being everything that they need to get the offense going. And he's just he's Lamar's guy, like 100 percent. Flowers is coming in. He's the the hot new the hot new name right now. Beckham obviously brings all the. Uh, brings all the attention to your point and Bateman is certainly at his moments, but it, it is always going to be Mark Andrews It's going to be Lamar Jackson's guy. And it, it's just a marked difference when he's on the field, as we saw. All right. Uh, maybe we talk about Edwards a little bit. Edwards, he really deserves some, some discussion anyway. The big thing about him, three first downs on third down, running the ball in the fourth quarter, rushing first downs, aren't all that common rushing first downs on third down. Aren't all that common. Rushing first downs on third down in the fourth quarter are incredibly uncommon. They're very difficult to get, and um, you know they helped the Ravens grind out this football game. He had some big breakaway runs earlier in the game. I think one for 17, another one for 20. Um, so it wasn't like he was devoid of longer runs. And when the Ravens needed it, he seemed to know where that yellow line was instinctively because it's not actually on that football field as much as we're used to watching it on TV. Yeah, it, it- – for a guy who had a pretty bad injury with 2021, obviously, and then he comes back last year, it felt like last year was still, he was still sort of dealing with it. And, it, you know, there's degenerative issues and stuff that can happen with those injuries. So, yeah, he was, uh, he was still really kind of just gearing up to get back to a role like this, I felt like at times in 2022. And it was really good to see, man. And he had uh, some really nice runs in the open field. But to me, you hit on it. It was the fourth quarter, man. He's their closer. He's been their closer for a couple of years. You get him in there. And guess what? The defense knows what co- knows what's coming. And guess what? They can't stop it. If you need three yards to get to the sticks, I'm going to get you three yards. If you need six yards to get you the sticks, I'm going to get you six yards. We're just going to do exactly what we need to do to close this thing out. It is uh, it is cold. It is emotionless. It is uh, it has got to be gut wrenching as a fan to have to watch that guy grind out your team uh, in the fourth quarter of games. And I'm glad he's on our side. Yeah. And as a defender, I absolutely love it. Uh Let's go with pull up my list here. How about Odell Beckham? Sure. He gets hurt, obviously. But like I said, and like I alluded to, I thought he looked solid before that. He had a couple nice, uh, I think, whip routes to the uh, to the outside there. Jackson just seems to have a pretty decent amount of trust in him. He targeted him a couple of times in week one, drew a few PIs in some nice Tory Smith fashion there. And then he had, obviously, the nice over-the-shoulder catch. Um but man, he he looked a, I think a little bit more settled in this week. It felt like a little less feast or famine, and a little more like this guy is going to be the featured receiver. And to your point, maybe the usage as like that traditional X role, maybe we don't necessarily love that. But I don't know. It just looks solid every time he threw him the ball prior to getting injured. 
looked good, looked like that kind of move the chains type of guy that uh, at the very least he can be, and maybe he can be even a little bit more than that. So I was encouraged. Yeah, through two games now, he's averaged 33 yards a game. You project that out uh, for a full season, you end up at, what, 561 or something like that. Uh, that would be completely acceptable in terms of, of what you get out of Odell Beckham. And it'd be even more acceptable given the fact that he's drawing penalties at a high rate early in the season. So he's at three. One of them was what, as you would refer to, I think a Torrey Smith PI where he gets behind the defense and forces the defensive back who hasn't found the football to drive through him to try and stop the reception. That's, that's just him being him getting vertical and being more explosive than the guys covering him. But the other two were incredible savvy manipulate the um, uh, official uh, the the cutoff DPI that he got in the first game, and then this thing where he dragged out a defender on top. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it to, to draw a defensive hold on a play like that. <laughs> it just basically draws a guy. That, and it, it's not like the official didn't have kind of a side eye on him at the time. He's kind of looking straight ahead. He sees it from the side. Odell Beckham, you know, pulls the guy down on top of him, throws up his arms immediately. And the official just throws the flag right out there. It's, it was it was beautiful. Yeah, there's veteran savvy when it comes to technique. There's veteran savvy when it comes to uh, understanding the playbook. There's veteran savvy in a lot of different ways. But knowing how to draw a penalty is uh, one of the more beautiful ones that I can yeah. think of. And uh, he's done a nice job of it so far. Moses Malone, the guy who's known about it in, in for in the NBA for years about you know acting like he's getting killed inside on every on every single play and drawing tons of fouls. So Beckham, Beckham a big soccer fan, so maybe that's a part of it. <laughs> Could be. Yes, they're floppers. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have that yet. They have it in hockey. They have it built into the game that, that if you flop, you, you lose. And, and in soccer, you can get yellow carded, right, for, for flopping? Yeah, you can. It's uh, not used the most liberally from what I've seen. Okay. And, but I, as far as I know, they don't have it in football. They don't, they don't have to throw an unsportsmanlike flag for attempting to flop. But, uh, but it'd be an interesting addition to the game if that suddenly became more of a problem. Sure. Uh, I think I'm I'm about ready to tap out on this. We could talk a little bit about Flowers because he obviously is still a big part of of the offense in this week. Nice to see him uh, get that that vertical route and and have the ball tossed to him in the sense that it puts it on tape, not necessarily in the sense that it was a good risk reward decision, but uh, but it worked out fantastic. Um, and uh, and I definitely want to see more of that in terms of uh, trying to get him the ball behind the defense and forcing defenses to to convert to try to stop him and i think they went to him twice immediately after that they wanted to get him into the end zone i think they not only did they want to get him the touchdown i just think that they really want their offense and their passing game to run through him to a certain extent and uh he obviously wasn't a huge part of the game plan in the first half but yeah i mean right after that they go to him they try to get him in on the screen i think they run pretty much the exact same play again and it doesn't go anywhere because i think the defense was just kind of keyed in on him but then you know you go the other way and who's there it's mark andrews so yeah yeah, it's uh it's just good to have a guy like that that just in two games into his career is commanding respect at the wide receiver position you never thought you would be here as a ravens fan uh and now you're here and i'm telling you to enjoy it this is a this is a rare thing because you, you you go to camp and you see this guy play and it's just a it, he's a different level of ability to lose the defenders play after play. And there's one story I really like from this. I told this once on the camp notes, but it's the kind of thing that that really sticks with you. Is they were doing one-on-one drills, and one-on-one drills are already incredibly unfair to the defensive back who has to cover a wide receiver. Plus, they don't really allow them to be physical, uh, and they're often. I, but this might have been in pads. There might have been a little more physicality to it, and. Kayvon Seymour had responsibility for covering 
um, Flowers on three consecutive one-on-one drills. The first two Flowers beat him once deep. He beat him once on a cut where he left him basically hanging out to dry and, and you know, got a ton of separation. The third time, Kevin Seymour lines up in press coverage, immediately grabs onto his jersey and holds him there for a few seconds. And finally, they, they, they blow the plate dead. The entire defensive unit, all right, sorry, it's defensive unit being the other um, uh, pass defenders, cornerbacks who were in that group, all ran out and, and, and were patting him on the helmet. <laughs> it's like it was the biggest deal ever. And, you know, that is an impactful receiver who caused that kind of a response. Yeah, and it's just nothing they've really had before. Hollywood Brown certainly was very fast, but they're just they're feel it feels like there's just a physical je ne sais quoi, kind of a physical presence with Flowers, despite you know he's you know still pretty diminutive in terms of height. But mm-hmm. there just feels like there's a physicality that he plays with. He kind of plays above the rim, little Steve Smith kind of in that respect. So yeah, yeah, that's that that might end up being a very good uh, uh, analog for him or or a uh, you know comparison. I uh, really have appreciated doing this with you. Let me see if there's any mailbag questions we could get to really quickly. And then if there are, uh, we'll do that. I know there were a couple and I hate to leave them out there and not respond to them. So give me just a second here and I'll find this. All right. Um, we, we have another one here. Is it a valid concern? This is Andrew Konaziski, uh, who says, is it a valid concern that Lamar had 12 rushes to aid closing out the game? A valid concern in what respect? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't go on beyond that. So we have to kind of build some of the question for him when you, when people do that, unfortunately, uh, you know, I thought there weren't a lot of designed runs. There were certainly a fair number of scrambles from Lamar. I didn't like the hit he took late in the game to stay in bounds. Yeah. I kind of wish he'd gotten down a little sooner. Uh, but are you generally concerned about the number of carries he's had earlier in the season? No, I don't think so because of the uh, the avoiding the design runs. I think those are kind of the ones where you do tend to take hits a little bit, and he certainly uh, does lean into contact sometimes on scrambles. But I don't know. I just always think back to that Seattle game in 2019 where he really announced himself, and that felt like a lot of uh, – there were some design runs in that game. He had the fourth down call, obviously, but it felt like he closed that game out by spreading the wide receivers out, just taking the defense down the field, and then just scrambling, uh, just running like the wind at, uh, you know, avoiding contact, I think. So – I don't think scrambling is a, a bad thing necessarily, especially when you can avoid contact. But to your point, he did take that one late in the game. It's like we can probably avoid that. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be too concerned with it. Yeah. All right. We got another good one here. Uh, this is from Matt L who says, how do you think we could look to deal with Higgins better if we were to have a playoff rematch? It seems like Higgins versus Washington was a mismatch. The Bengals looked for a lot in the second half. He's absolutely right. They looked to, in fact, they looked at Higgins on anybody as a mismatch size-wise, which it really is. Uh, also had a great play against Darby in the end zone to toe tap and use his arm length to uh, basically shield the ball and and be able to you know, still be acrobatically what he needed to be to stay in bounds there. Yeah, if he goes from the slot, I'm not sure how often they run him out of there. Kyle Hamilton probably is the guy that can really handle mm-hmm. him from a physical perspective, and Hamilton has played from the slot before, so that would be the one that I look to, but. I just look at these offenses and the Bengals are really a perfect example of a passing offense like this where you really just got to pick your poison. And it felt like they were saying, you're not going to beat us with Jamar Chase in this game. You're just not going to do it. So if you want to turn to Higgins, go ahead and do it. And they did. And it was almost enough, but it wasn't enough. So maybe that's a winning formula is to kind of 
let them go to him a little bit, or maybe it'll be Tyler Boyd the next time around. But I don't know. I just think they have a thing with Jamar Chase where they uh, they are not big fans of him on that defense. And I think in the coaching staff, they recognize what an absolute game breaker he could be. So right. They actually, I think they did a pretty good job containing Higgins in this game. Twelve targets for eighty-nine yards. I mean, that's under eight. It's seven more. Be like more like seven point what seven point four yards per attempt or per target. I don't think that's a terrible number to give up to T Higgins. He, he had a very bad week one, by the way, they didn't have any completions to him in week one. Uh, and Burrow was not effective throwing the ball deep in this game. He was zero for seven with an interception throwing 15 plus yards. So I think they did a pretty good job of, of calling the big plays from that Cincinnati offense. Yeah. I think there's just an extent of having to take your medicine as a modern defense in the NFL. Like some guys are just going to beat you sometimes. And obviously that's, you don't want to get into that headspace necessarily, especially as a coach, but I don't know. I think you're going to take your lumps and a guy like Higgins is talented. And to your point, it wasn't that crazy of an impact. If you take, you know, you're not going to take away the two touchdowns, obviously, but maybe you don't get over influenced by those. Right. All right. Very true. Okay. Got one more and then we'll call it quits here for today. And I'm sorry for not getting to the entire mailbag guys, but sometimes we have to cut it a little short. Daniel Sampiano, Sampaio. I'm sorry. I think I've got that right. Sampaio. Um, is McCary the best sixth man offensive lineman in the NFL? He's capable of playing better than starters at times. And he's bailed out the Ravens numerous times. At what point is he going to get the respect that he deserves from pundits slash fans? I'll I'll start with this, and I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on the matter too. I, I you know he's a backup left tackle at this point for the Baltimore Ravens, and I love him in exactly that role. I hope if they they don't, even if Ronnie Stanley were to come back, I think they'd be making a mistake if they inserted him at center for anything more than a finish the game situation. How how would you feel about that at this point? Would would you be okay with him playing to finish out a game at at some other position other than left tackle? Yeah, I mean, with the experience at center, I'd certainly be fine with that. I know it's been a little while, but I don't know. He just seems like, uh, to his point, kind of that perfect six man. And you'd want it probably restricted to those two positions if you can do it. You don't want to have to be shuffling him around the way they did early in his career because it just hinders development and it's not good for consistency with the line at large. So, yeah, uh, I, I am good with it, though. He's, he's versatile for a reason. That's why they paid him to be that six man, I think, is uh, – in the event that uh, they did need him to exercise that versatility. So, yeah, you know, I mean, as far as him getting his flowers, yeah, you're, you're right. He's a, a six offensive lineman on the Baltimore Ravens. So I don't know, like Dennis Kelly, I think was a well-known swing tackle throughout the league. I really can't think of any other guys where like I'm thinking of them where like I'm thinking of them in that kind of way. So, mm-hmm. you know, People like us, we'll see him around town. We'll buy him a beer. Hey, you're Patrick McCary. But outside of outside of here, he's not going to get a ton of recognition. I think that's fine, and I think uh, he's fine with that. Yeah, and and I I would agree. I, I'm you know we saw Tyree Phillips be a backup tackle, and honestly didn't play well enough at backup tackle that you were concerned about losing him anywhere else. But in that first game of 2021, he got hurt playing left guard, and then the Ravens you know were were that much more short at, at, in terms of tackle depth, and that's my major concern is that. I'd rather have Mustafa be the guy who backs up um, Linderbaum than have McCary ever take time at center, where I think, you know, actually having McCary over Mustafa is a pretty marginal gain at center, but having McCary over the field at left tackle right now appears to be an enormous chasm. Yeah, no, and I do like the point that you make there where it's sometimes good to just have a guy who plays a position just play that position and specialize in that. And everyone loves versatility and that's all great. But 
we've seen them maybe try to pigeonhole players like a Kamala Correa, where it's like, oh, well, he was a hand in the dirt pass rusher at Boise State, but let's mess around with that a little bit. Let's have him yeah. drop and do this and that. It's like, no, maybe sometimes you just want to like have a guy who is good at a thing to a certain extent and have him just do that thing. All right. Well, Jake, been terrific having you on here. Thanks for thanks for uh, uh, going with the flow here and letting this last a little longer than it even it normally does. But great discussion. Really appreciate talking football with you. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, sure. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can find me at Jake Luke on Twitter, and that's L-O-U-Q-U-E. And uh, check us out on the Exit 52 podcast on YouTube and uh, wherever you get your shows. All right. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. You know the drill by now. Always looking for new ideas that we can discuss in a thought-provoking way on this show. Uh, If you DM me, I do promise I'll get back to you quickly and we'll discuss your idea. Uh, Jake, thanks again for joining me. Terrific episode, I thought. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, sir. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator